Matthew chapter 25. Would you turn there, please? Matthew chapter 25. Now, let me tell you what the message is about this morning. I was doing some research for another message, and I ran across the notes on this message from nearly 30 years ago. In December of 1981, that was the year that we started as a church. We started in May that year. And in that year in December, I taught this message. But as I was looking at the content in the notes, I kept looking. I thought, you know, this still works. It's not like God put his stamp done on there and sent it off and it's done, but it sort of stays current. Now, the title of this message is, The Price of Oil is Going Up. (laughs) So let me read Matthew chapter 25, where this message comes from. I want you to know that it remains as true today. The content, the subject matter, and the point of this message is as true this morning as it was 30 years ago. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, that is, no extra oil. But... The wise took oil in their lamps, in their vessels, with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept, which is probably a sign of the last days. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Now, we'll end our message today probably with that idea and that point, because this is a point Jesus made about the coming of the bridegroom, the end of time, and something that we're all going to have to deal with, everybody. Nobody can escape the fact that you must deal with this. You have to. You can reject it, but you dealt with it. That was your choice. But you got to deal with it. And it said, they that were ready went in. Verse 11, afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The day nor the hour you don't know. Oil is a pretty popular subject today, and it seems to be the focus, one of the focuses of this narrative here. It's about oil. Those who had oil were considered wise, and they made it extra oil. They all had oil to begin with. They all had vessels to begin with. They all had the right garments to begin with. They were all in the right group to begin with. All 10 of these looked the same, had the same. There was no difference in them. 
it's time that took its toll that separated between those who were ready and would be ready and those who weren't and would not be. But all is this popular subject. Well, it's not so popular today that people like to talk about it, but because it is spoken of so much, it is a popular subject. I saw in a paper the other day, USA Today, that the forecast is that gas will bottom out sometime in the summer or late in the fall at $4 and some odd cents a gallon. That's a lot of money for a gallon of gas, more than a gallon of milk, of course. And it means that there's an expense coming, going to be added to your lifestyle and to your tomorrows and everything. And, and people get this gloomy atmosphere. You can't escape it. It's there. I mean, you got to deal with it. You don't have to be a victim of it. But if that's true, if what they're forecasting is true, then it's just going to cost a little more to stay with it. I had a roommate in college who used to say it costs a nickel more to go first class. One day he was broke. He had exactly $2.50 in his pocket, exactly. And it was on a Thursday, and I came into my room that day, and my roommate was showering, shaving, putting his tie on. And it's Thursday. You know, he's cutting a class. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going down to the Eagle's Nest. It was in Moorhead when I went to college, and there was a, the best place in town was called the Eagle's Nest. And the best on the menu there was either country ham or steak. It was $2.50. That was a pretty high-priced item. It may not be today, but it was then. You know, Cokes were a dime then. He said, I'm going out in style today. He said, I'm going down to have me a big steak dinner and then just make it through the rest of the week. And he didn't. And he did. He went down there and got him a big steak dinner with a suit and tie on, paid for his meal, and was broke. <laughs> but he was broke with a smile on his face. He wasn't complaining, he wasn't gloomy, and he wasn't hungry. So that's just one way that some people cope with that. They suffer tomorrow, of course, but oil is a popular subject. How you're living and what it's costing you to live is a popular subject. But because oil is a necessity, people will pay for it. You've got to get to work. Think of all the amount every day, the amount of fuel that is burned in the world, the, the great ocean vessels, the huge and huge amounts of fuel. Every jet airplane that takes off has that much fuel on it. And they take off by the thousands every day. And they burn thousands or millions or whatever gallons every day. Think of all the railroad cars and seeing those trains coming down the track, the big diesels with the diesel engine is the car. That's a diesel motor with huge 500-gallon tanks on the side of them. And they burn those every day. And all the cars and the diesel trucks and the four-wheelers on the road by the thousands and thousands and thousands. So it is a subject that people cannot get off their minds. But they will buy it. They will continue to buy it. They will continue to pay the price for it because they have to have it. And because it is a necessity, they will have it. But this message this morning is not about refined crude oil. But it is about oil. It's about the oil that God gives. But not everybody is willing to pay a high price for this. Not everybody is willing to make a sacrifice to have the oil that God gives, like what this subject matter is about here. You see, oil is a necessity for Christians. You have to be willing to pay whatever you have to pay to get it. 
Some of you paid a pretty good price. You left wherever you were and you moved here. You gave up opportunities and all of that, knowing that financially this was not the best thing I've ever done as far as I know. You don't know where you're going and how to work out, but you sort of dug up your roots and left. I did that when I came here. I had a bunch. I came here with nothing. But, I mean, it's something you do because there are things in this life that are necessary. There are things in this life where Christians are absolutely necessary. They're necessities. One of them is hearing the word of God. I believe all in our text refers to the word of God that he gives to guide his people in preparation for his coming. If that's what all is in this text, it's the revelation of God's word to his people so that they can prepare themselves for the coming of the Lord, then you've got to be willing to pay whatever price you have to pay, sacrifice whatever you have to sacrifice to avail yourself to what God is giving you, no matter what you give up or walk away from in order to get it. Now, there were 10 versions. Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Now, let's point out to begin with this morning three things in this text. One, back to that, wisdom. Five of these virgins were wise. Five of them were foolish. Now, how would you describe the foolish ones? Well, the Bible describes it for us. They had oil in their vessel. They didn't have any extra. They had enough because the attitude was, well, we can always get this, and we always go to church. We always get a tape. I don't need to take notes. There's always a tape to get. There's always this sort of shallow indifference to exercising yourself fully to get things that God offers. It's just not a really a big deal. It's just not really a big deal. And so a lot of people respond to God like that, and that's foolish. You cannot assume that God's always going to teach you. You cannot assume that every time you go to church, God is going to open your mind and show you his truth. You can't. There were those, too many in the Bible that spoke of, they have ears to hear, but they cannot hear. If they have shut their ears from hearing the truth, they most likely will never hear it again. They will hear Bible stories and Bible sermons, but they'll never touch their heart. They'll never be changed. Because you see, the word of God is designed to do that. I think that's what oil is like in this scripture. It's what God gives that prepares you to be ready for his coming, enables you to know he's coming, and enables you to see him when he comes. It's a revelation of his word. Let me ask you a question. What makes a man wise? Well, the best definition of what makes a man wise is faith. There's not a wiser thing you'll ever do in this life than believe God. In fact, for this morning anyway, wisdom is faith. Faith is wisdom. Knowledge is about facts past, things already known. Things in the future would come under the thing about wisdom and the the response to it. When I'm responding to God favorably, I'm exercising faith. I'm also being wise. Remember Matthew 7, the wise man was going to build a house. And a foolish man was going to build a house. And the foolish man built his house on the sand. Remember the story? Matthew 7, at the end of the chapter, he built his house on the sand. He probably had the attitude, well, you know, you build it heavy enough, it'll stand. It ain't going to fall out from under the sand. 
this is a big house and it's heavy and it's not going to be thrown off course. And uh, you don't have to pay all that extra to get down to the rock. It might be six foot deep before you find the rock. And I don't have time to do that. And so they build a house with that attitude. I can always go to church. Church is like an option. It's supposed to be there. Somebody is supposed to take pains with you. And somebody is supposed to do all your praying for you and do all your believing and all your reading for you. And so it's always there. And you're really counting on that somehow to drag you into heaven. A lot of people like that. They wouldn't say it that way, but it seems like it's that way. So they just build their house, you know, with a lot of human logic and reason. Well, I think this is good enough. I mean, they build them like this all the time. Come on. They haven't fallen down yet. There's a whole row of them built down there like this. Come on. But a wise man, there's always a possibility that a storm will come. We haven't had storms here in 10 years, brother. You know, I read in the history of the city that we had a bad storm here 20 years ago. And it seemed like about every 10, 11 years we get this violent spring weather. I'm not going to assume that it's not going to happen. And I'm going to take the time and the energy and the extra expense. And I'm going to dig down here until I find a foundation. And people will call me foolish and you're spending money you don't have to. But I'm going to go down to where I know when I get my house built here, it won't ever fall. Now, he was a wise man, the Lord said. He was not wise in the eyes of the building world, surely. But he was wise in the eyes of God because he was thinking ahead. He wasn't believing for a storm, but in case the storm came, I want to know that I'm ready for it. These virgins would have said, I don't know when he's coming. I mean, the night is from 6 to 6, and I don't know what time he's coming. I know this lamp will burn for about four or five hours or six before the oil is consumed in it. And if you don't have oil in a lamp, all you have is something to put on a table to admire. It's no good for anything else. So just in case the Lord's coming may not be when I think it ought to be or when it should, I'm going to take some extra oil so that I'll be ready. Somebody says, well, where's your faith, brother? Well, it's not so much what I'm believing for as much as what I'm not sure of. He may be here soon. I won't need it. But if I don't need it, it doesn't matter. But if he delays his coming, I want to make sure I can make it through the night. Now, the foolish virgin said, oh, come on. You, you know, it's, eh, you know, there's always church. We can always go to church. And they had that attitude. But are you one of those that would dig deep this morning, or is your life so busy and your expense account so troubling that it's foolish for you to take that kind of time and that kind of wisdom to do that? You see, I don't know how any of all of us live. I know how some of us live. And I know that we have to keep thinking ahead. God doesn't always show us how things are going to come out any more than he tells us the day and the hour of his coming. We just know he's coming. We're told he comes at an hour you think not. When men are acting this way, indifferent to God, eating and drinking and all of that and carrying on like the world's never going to end. We're warned about earthquakes and diverse places and famine and peril and terrorism and angry men and killing and dying all over the world. We're told about that, and it's happening, and we've gotten used to it. One of the biggest earthquakes in history, you know, just the other day in Japan. Well, it didn't hit Kentucky, did it? So it's no big deal. But it's a warning. 
Jesus said when these things begin to come, it's not the end, it's the beginning of sorrows. It's the beginning of a time in which people cannot successfully cope with it. They could have been able to, but they will not be able to because they did not avail themselves to the word that God gave in preparation for it. They don't have any oil, and they can't see where they're going. They have no light. They don't know. What about the ant? Is the ant considered wise in the Bible? Proverbs 6 and verse 6 says that the ant is wise. He knows that the summer is the time everybody's going to the beach and having a big time, but he knows it's the time he needs to get ready for the winter. Oh, brother, where's your faith? You know, God will supply you. Well, he's supplying it right now, and I'm going out to get it right now, and I'm going to haul it to my house right now. I'm going to bite the ends off my little wheat seeds so they won't germinate, and they'll be there compacted in my little place. And right now, while there's plenty out there, I'm going to go get it. I used to tell myself, because I burned firewood, I used to tell myself all the time of summer, now's the time to get your wood. Go out and cut your wood and get you a few loads of wood and let it dry somewhere because when it's seasoned, it burns better. And I'd put it off like a grasshopper. Well, it's too hot. Remember last year, everybody said, it's so hot. And this year, they said, I can't stand it. It's cold. And it's just too hot. You get out there sweating with the chainsaw, and then have to take it and split it, and then pick it up and stack it, and all the sweat and the dirt and all of that. It's just not a price I wanted to pay. So what do you do? Well, you go out there when it's zero, and it's snowing, and you're shaking, can't get enough clothes on, and everything's froze. You're trying to get a piece of wood out of the back of the field. I remember cutting a perfectly nice limb off of an ash tree years ago. Didn't need to be cut off, but I was cold. So I cut that big limb down and, and took it back in the house. It lasted, you know, two or three days. I'm like a grasshopper. Now, that ant, he went out there in the summer, and he had wood stacked up. And everybody said, boy, you got a lot of wood. But you. He said, I sure do. We're going to go beach. You want to go? I got to get some wood. You work too hard, man. You work too hard. You work too much. I know it. But I tell you what, this winter, come over and sit by my stove with me. Warm yourself up because I have plenty. I'll be ready for the winter. When it gets here, I'll be ready because I'm paying the price now. The winter is coming. The cold You like that? <laughs> it's coming. You can't get out of the way. It is coming. And now is the time to get ready for it. The big goose down coat that's on sale for $49.95, and you wished you had one last year. Oh, remember that? But they were $79.95. They're $49.95 now. You want it? Winter's coming. Why don't you get it now? Well, I wanted to go get me some neat new shoes or something, sneakers or something. Well, get them now, but they don't run good in the winter. I'm just saying a wise man has to think ahead, and he responds to what seems to be the right thing for him to do, not only in the natural life but spiritually. 
Jesus keeps saying things in the word of God to us as a congregation here about his coming, about being ready through the years at various times. We cannot listen to that like it's no big deal because he's telling us things that we need to know. Not everybody hears that, but we are. We have got to be wise men. Remember the unjust steward in, in uh, Luke 16? He had to give an account. He couldn't give a good account, and his boss said, you're fired. And this steward said, I don't know what to do. I'm too proud to work. I'm not skilled in anything else. And I'm going to be out of a job with nothing. He's, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to all my bosses, all the guys I've been working for, all the guys that owed him money. I'm going to cut a deal with all of them. Because he knew what was coming. He knew the hard times were coming. He didn't know what to do with it. I'll cut a deal with all these guys so that they all owe me a favor. This one owes $100. Give me 50 and you're clear. Really? So thank you. I'm doing this for you. Remember me. So he makes all these deals. And while he was dealing with another man's money, the Bible said the Lord said that he was wiser than the children of light because God is warning his people about what's coming, but his people aren't taking heed. But this man saw what was coming. He not only took heed, he began to make preparations for getting favors back from people that he gave a favor to. He was wise in that sense. Our virgin said, we may need extra oil. There's not enough for me and you. But he said, our lamps are gone out. Come on, brother, sister, our lamps are going out. He said, I know they are. Mine's about to go out. I have enough oil to put back in here that'll last until morning. It's my responsibility, brother or sister, they would say. It's my responsibility, nobody else's, to make sure that I am ready and prepared when Jesus comes to see his coming. Now, the Bible says, unto those who believe shall he appear. Put it this way, to those who exercise wisdom now, they're going to see him when he comes. He is coming. Jesus is coming back. Not everybody will see him, but somebody's going to. Five of these virgins didn't, and they were all virgins. See, a second thing is the admonishment to watch. He says, you better watch. Pay attention to what's going on. I'm not one that goes by the news reels of the world, because those are mostly the headquarters of news media slant the news in the direction they wanted to go. Most of them are very liberal. They eliminate some things that are important. Like, for example, I doubt if you'll ever read in the Courier Journal or any other big city paper. Well, you may in some of them. On May the 14th, you'll never read that that was the day that Israel became a modern nation again. You won't even find it on your desk pads. And they got days in there celebrating from, this is the year the tsunami hit in 1815 over in, I don't even care about that. They slant the news. That's why you can't just believe what the evening news report says. But I listen to it because what you see on the tube happening is happening. What you see as far as the conditions in the world, the riots, the falling apart of nations, Egypt, Libya, who knows what else. It is a time unlike any other time. I've said that before. But it's a time unlike any other time because of electronics. 
You know, you can get on a computer today and then just the touch of a button and send a message, the same message, I guess, to thousands of people. I can send a message to the Reed boys over in Afghanistan through the airwaves. I asked the man a question the other day. If you could see signals, what would it look like if every signal had a line, a little blue, red, green line here, there, what would it look like? Would it be a maze? It'd be a maze. There's a signal going from this microphone back to there. You put that telephone in your ear, there's signals going from there. You hit a button, signals go out from that to here, and it's repeated and thrown over there, and it goes back to here, and it comes back here. You got satellite radios, and there's signals going out and signals coming in. I think if you saw all the signals in living color, that's all you'd see. There has never been a time like this. It is a late hour. It is a time that we need to be prepared and be ready. I don't know when he's coming exactly, but I'm not going to take any chances and go on and live like he's not coming. I know he is coming. And blessed is a man that when he comes, he finds doing certain things. So it's like we better heed what we have heard and not let it slip. We have to watch and to pray. Like Peter said, be sober and be vigilant. Listen at these words, Romans 13, 11. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Isn't that true? Awake out of sleep, that's what he was talking about, these virgins. They came a time of slumber. Well, when's he coming? I don't know. He said he was coming pretty soon. Well, that was 100 years ago. Well, 300 years ago they said it too. So when's he coming? Well, I don't know. He's coming. He's coming soon. I don't know. Mm. Let's go to church. All right, let's go to church. Do you think that happens? Do you think it ever happens that you and I would ever get lethargic? That's a nice word for being dull. Do you think it could ever happen? Let's pray he doesn't come at that time because knowing that we were asleep, the announcement came very, very clear. He's coming! Well, everybody woke out of their sleep, even the foolish ones. He's coming! And they said, I can't see you. And the principle of this light is I can't use your light to see. I got to have my own. I can't get real close to you and say, well, let me huddle around you. No, every man's got to have his own light. Every man's got to have his own faith in what he believes. Same word you heard, same word I heard. That's the oil of God. There's got to be a thing called faith that ignites it and makes you believe it. And then you begin to see what's going on. It's understanding and so forth. It's preparation that you're making for the coming of the Lord. Don't let it be like Jeremiah 8.20 says, the harvest is past and the summer is gone and we are not saved. What a terrible thing to think of. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. You know why? Because we're not paying attention. We are so busy. We've got our kids growing up now. We weren't as busy. Before our kids got in school, we weren't quite busy. Now that our kids become the focus of the home, and the home almost becomes child-centered, 
and their activities and their sports becomes the major sacrifice that parents make, you got to set something aside to do that. Well, their championship game is Sunday, so we're not going to be able to make it. Well, the big meet is going to be on Saturday over in another state, and we're not going to be able to be here for this on Sunday morning. It's just so many distractions. God won't prevent distractions from coming into our lives. He won't keep you from being influenced by the wrong things. He's told you what's right. He expects you to be discerning. If you're not discerning, it's because you're not paying attention now. That's why when somebody preaches something that's got some meat in it, you kind of well, I don't know what that was all about. It's like Hebrews 5. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. You're not exercising your senses. You're not paying attention. You're not putting to practice what you're hearing. You're living like you heard it, but it's not a big deal. Just not paying attention. Isn't that why people have wrecks with their cell phones in their ear? You know you're not supposed to do this. Drive down the road. Wait a minute. I'm going to text you. Boom. <laughs> Well, I didn't see him coming. Well, you couldn't see him coming. You had your eyes somewhere else. You didn't see that car coming to hit you any more than you could see the Lord coming because you've gotten your eyes off him and you've got it on to something else and you're no longer paying attention. And bang, your life goes out of whack. You know what we all need to do, third? We need to check our oil. Oil check. You know how you check oil, don't you? I used to teach my daughters when they got big enough to drive how to check your oil in your car. This is the oil stick. Pull it out, and the girls often go, eh. Well, put a little hanky on her, a little Kleenex or something, and learn to check your oil. If it's here, it's okay. And if it's below that, you need to tell Dad or go put oil in yourself. Even taught one how to change her own oil. That's good. But you see, you have to check your oil. Now, we're talking, again, not about crude oil here, but we're talking about the oil that God gives. Could it be, as I've already said, could it be that the oil mentioned in Matthew 25 really is a revelation of the Word? Let's look at something. Go to Psalm 119 and verse 105. Let's just try to prove or show that the Word is like oil. Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word lamp in the Hebrew also means candle. Now, it says in your Bible, in that verse, that God's word is what shows you not only where you're going, but the way to go. Now listen to me, without the word, you don't know if you're going right or not. You don't know if you're believing right or not without the word. You got to be a word inside minded person. You got to be a person that bases what's right or wrong on the word, that the word has final say in your life. It is the judge of a man's thoughts and heart. You know what the word is? Like a two-edged sword? It goes in and it divides asunder. We've been talking about it. It's what the Word does. And the Bible says this Word, when God shows it to you, it's like a revelation that you have never had before, and you see yourself going, oh, I see it. 
Now you know precisely and exactly how to walk concerning this subject, whatever he just showed you. You know exactly what's right. And if you don't live that way now, it's a sin. For he that knoweth to do good, if he is now unwilling to do it or puts other things first or lets other things become more important than that, then he sins. People sin all the time. Things aren't going well in their lives. If I told you, well, the reason they aren't is because of your sinfulness. You're not giving God his just due, and therefore things aren't working well. Well, they're not going to come back. He condemns me. I didn't condemn you. You condemned yourself. See, I can't prove all that, but I can just say that it should be well with us. It's supposed to be well with us. I preach it all the time because I want it to be well with you. I want it to be well with you. Look at verse 130 of Psalm 119. Verse 130. The entrance of thy words give what? Light. What the five foolish virgins did not have was, you say, well, it was oil. No, what they did not have was what oil brings. It's light. You can't just take a beautiful, well-handmade, crafted, imported, European, high-tech stuff lamp with no oil in it and think that, man, I can make it now. That's nothing more than something to decorate your house with unless it's got oil in it. What if you had a big, fine, super fine automobile, a Maserati or a Chevrolet, buddy, the best you can get? <laughs> What if you had your big, fine, new Chevy and not a drop of gas in it? All you can do is walk around and say, look, look at that, buddy. Raise the hood. Look at that. 400 horsepower. <laughs> I can smoke them tires on the back. Sit in that seat there. Let me turn the electricity on so you can see the navigation system. What about that? Let's go somewhere. Well, we can't go nowhere. We don't have any gas. But we can sit in and admire it. We can pick it up, make sure it's 100% leather. We can make sure it's authentic. Oh, yeah, they're genuine leather. We can do that. And I got the biggest one in here. Look like a family Bible because it's got big print. And I can carry it around. My Bible's bigger than y'all's Bible. <laughs> so what good's your Bible? What good's a stick of dynamite if all you do is put it under the pulpit? What's dynamite for? Dynamite is to remove resistance. You got something in you that's resisting you. Maybe a big rock in your field or a cliff on the side of the road. You got to get rid of it. You use dynamite. Because dynamite is power. Like the word of God is power. And the purpose of this dynamite is to put it against opposition in your life. Drill your hole down deep and put that thing in there somewhere and then get some electronic geek to figure out how to make it go off. But if all you got is a stick of dynamite, I'm going to show you something. Let me show you my dynamite. Look at that. What is that? I said, that's power, buddy. That's dynamite. What are you going to do with it? I'm just going to look at it. Like my car out there. I don't have any gas. But I can go out and set it in the evenings, turn on my navigation system. If the battery runs out, I just charge it. I can sit in there and play like I'm going, like those commercials. I'm up in the mountains going through the whatever. You're foolish. You're deceived and you're foolish. Your car is not worth an old junk car. 
if it doesn't have gas. Our lives are nothing more than empty vessels without oil, but with oil and no flame, we're nothing. We're just a bunch of religious people talking about power, having the form, but not the power. And it does us no good. We struggle our whole life. We can't understand why things don't work well for us. I'm in debt today as I was then. I'm still having trouble here as I had then. My physical is no better here than it was then. After all these years of sitting under Brother Hamilton, I'm no better off than I was. Maybe it's not Brother Hamilton. Maybe there's something wrong in your connection with the Lord. Maybe you got a good stick of dynamite there, but you've never lit the wick. You never experienced that sound. How do you know what a sound is? Any of you know what that is? That's the sound of the fuse being lit to the dynamite. When's it going to go off? I have no idea. But when it's time, it'll get there and it'll go kaboom. There goes another mountain. Once there was a little old ram, thought he could bust a hole in the dam, but everybody knows a ram can't bust a hole in the dam. A song. Mm -hmm. And the ram kept hitting the dam, and one day, whoops, the dam let go. Is there another word for dam that we could use as a reservoir let go? The thing that stopped the reservoir let go. Some people are just intent more on getting what God is offering and holding on to it. I want to make sure I've got enough to get to the end. You found 130 yet? The entrance of thy words give light. What else does it give? It gives understanding to the simple. Simple can be used two ways, foolish and silly, or just full of integrity and honesty like a child. The simplicity of the faith, for example, is just taking God at his word. It gives understanding to people like that. Oh, I see it. Okay, I see that. What about Psalm 43? Look over to Psalm 43 while you're there. The plea for the psalmist, oh, send out thy light and thy truth and let them lead me. Then that's the way we live. Go back to Psalm 36, just a page or two back. Verse 9, for with thee is the fountain of life and in thy light we see light. With thy oil we see thee. If you light the wick, which is what our faith is, you believe the announcement that God has made, and you know you believe, and everybody else knows you believe because of your response, how you respond and prepare yourself. You see, in our story, folks, those without oil were rejected. Now, we're living in a day, especially you young folks, we're living in a day when nothing is supposed to be final, nothing is supposed to be harsh. Everything is iffy and everything is so-so. You know, God is like us and he has feelings like us and he responds to each other like we do. People like that never read the Bible. God is holy. Nobody's just allowed to do whatever they want to without the consequences of judgment. Nobody. 
like he said in Hebrews 12, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's a consuming fire. He's loving and compassionate and caring. He's proven that by his tolerance of us for years. His tolerance. How tolerable has he been with us in this room or you? How many times have you indifferently just sort of walked off and not paid much attention to God and just sort of had a bad attitude about it, and you're still here? Don't tell me he hadn't been tolerant. How long will he be like that? I don't know. I just know that we all need to take advantage of what we have as long as we have it. Our text says that they all came with light, but not enough light. They were all virgins. At this time in history, before the coming of the Lord, they were all virgins. They kept themselves. They didn't follow other doctrines and creeds. They kept themselves on the right track. They had lamps. They had oil. Their lamps were burning. They were waiting specifically for the bridegroom. They heard the announcement that he is coming. They were part of the group that especially looked for him. Five of them didn't make it. Five of them didn't make it. I wonder why. Is it because it costs too much to get oil and too much of a price to have to pay to be like that? I'll tell you one thing. You're not going to make a lot of money seeking God. Nobody's going to pay you to seek him. You know that? You don't pick up your check after prayer meeting. So I said, how long did you pray? And I prayed for um, 45 minutes. Okay, you get $3 an hour. You don't do that. You don't get paid for seeking God. God doesn't hand out a reward for those that seek him. He hands out the opportunity. The reward comes with the response. You can draw back and say, I don't need that, or I'm not ready for that. <clears throat> or I don't know about that, and you can draw back, but that was a choice you made, and God's response will be just. Or you can say, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. That's not real clear to me, but I know God is speaking, and I'm going to stay with this. I'm going to hammer away at this. I'm going to seek the Lord because I need to find him because Jesus said, if I seek, I will find. Go back to Matthew 25. Look at verse 9 again. Verse 9 in our text, he said, Go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And what's he talking about? He's talking about oil, isn't he? Go buy oil. Well, that's a natural thing to do. If you didn't have natural oil, you could go where they sell oil and get some. That's just a natural statement about things that are natural. Now, there's a spiritual principle here. He doesn't mean that there's a place you can go. Some people think the oil here refers to the Holy Spirit. Well, I promise you this. I guarantee you cannot buy the Holy Spirit. You can't buy that any more than you can buy revelations of the word. Or, poor Catholics, you cannot buy repentance. These are spiritual things. So because they're spiritual things, they're necessary for you in this life to come to the conclusions in life that you should come to. Now, in verse 9, he says, go and buy for yourselves. Listen to this verse in Proverbs 23, and verse 23 says, Buy the truth and sell it not. 
also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Well, you can't buy wisdom and instruction and understanding, but if you want to obtain and get for yourself wisdom and instruction and understanding, it's a choice you have to make to do that. In that sense, you buy it. You can't buy it with natural money. You can't buy it any other way, but in the sense that you are taking time and effort to seek to pray and make this a focal point of your life, in that sense, you are obtaining or getting what you need. And I think that's the point that the Lord is going to make in this. How do you buy the truth? Where would you buy the truth? Well, you got to go where truth is offered. So if you want to go where truth is offered, go to Starbucks with your wireless system there. You know, you get on there and type in truth. And then you can get your truth there. Or maybe truth is down at Walmart. Where do you get truth? Where would you find truth? The Bible speaks of truth falling in the streets in some situations. It was not even wanted. It just, yeah. I saw a penny lying on the street there at the post office, and somebody didn't even want it. It wasn't mine, so I didn't pick it up. It's just don't want it. Just not that interested in it. We have our own ideas of what's going on and where it ought to be and so forth. But where would you get truth? Is it true that some people bring truth, bring forth truth? Listen to these words in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 6. Well, the covenant he gave in verse 5 was life and peace. And this was what he gave in verse 4 to Levi. Now, the Levites were the priests, the teaching priests, the ones who were responsible to teach the people the law. The law of God, as he goes on to say in verse 6, the law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. And he walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. Now, folks, that is exactly what the ministry is supposed to do today. It's not build and grow and become sensational where we're admired and looked up to by our peers. It says this, that God gives those whom he sends. He said the law of truth was in his mouth. And with that truth, he did turn many away from their iniquity. Verse 7, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge. And they, the people, should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's where you find the truth. That's where you go and get the truth. You find out who's proclaiming it. Do you all believe that all ministers today proclaim the truth? I think they've all mentioned the truth, all of them. I think they have opened their Bible up and read you the truth. For that is the truth. But what they proclaim isn't what they read. Some people don't want to hear certain aspects of the truth because of the pain it brings or the cost of living it. I can't afford to be humiliated in this town because of who I am and my name and reputation. I can't afford to go to the concrete cathedral. I just can't do it. With my reputation, I become somebody and people admire me and look up to me and respectfully approach me and admire me. I can't afford to let all of that go and talk in tongues and clap my hands. I can't do that. Well, that's your choice. 
Does the Bible say that the truth is where you're going? Well, you know, they, they do all right. No, that's not what I asked you. Are they turning people away from iniquity? Or you all still have your social drinkers and your little running around together and sleeping together people in your church? Do they still do that? Are you tolerating that? Then you're not turning anybody away from iniquity. Nobody, not anybody, anybody, zero. This message, this truth becomes such a weighty subject matter in the heart of some people that you cannot turn your head when people don't want to believe it. You hammer it away. Well, that's too hard. It is not too hard. It's too narrow. It is not too narrow. Well, it just seemed like we were separated from the whole world. We are separated from the whole world. We couldn't have thought up such a wonderful thing as this. It left to us, we would be out there in the world socializing and not caring anything about this truth. People that can't afford to pay the price for oil compromise their testimony in a subject of conversation. They don't want anybody to know that they don't believe in Christmas. They don't want anybody to know that they don't vote. They don't want anybody to know that they speak in tongues and they clap. I even ran around the church one time going, whoo. They don't want people to know that. I don't want people to know that we believe in separation, that we don't believe in killing. I don't want people to know that about me because as far as I'm concerned, I'm a patriot like them. We're going to get rid of the president. That's what their church allows. And nobody restrains these people from that. They've hidden whatever they think their light is. They've hid it under a bushel. They're like people that have a brand new car with no gas in it. They're not going anywhere. They look good. People walk around and admire them. But it's not going anywhere. It's like a big rocking chair, a better than you can get at the Cracker Barrel if that's possible. Talk about a handcrafted, Amish-made, the best you can make oak rocking chair. The kind that will stay put and you can rock. I mean, it has some really good rocks and you can be having some good moments and just praise the Lord. And you can be real busy and active, but you're not going anywhere. Somebody told me a long, long time ago, a rocking chair is like a lot of Christians. They're real busy and real active, and they're breathing hard, but they're not going anywhere. And that's true with us. Not us here especially, but it may be true with some of us, but it's true in Christendom. It really is. It's just that what God is saying is just not what we're really after. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. The lips of the priest, listen to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 15, 19, and thou shalt stand before me, and if thou take forth the precious from the vow, thou shalt be as my mouth. It'll be as though God was speaking, not God. But if you're willing to separate the precious from the vow and stay with the precious, if you're willing to make clear what is clean and what is unclean, what is right and wrong, what is up and what is down. If you're willing to make the people know the truth, even though a lot of them aren't going to like you, they'll turn away from you and turn on you. But if you're willing to do that, Jeremiah said, thou shalt be as my mouth. It's going to cost you. As I said a while ago, when people know that you actually believe the Sermon on the Mount is for today, there are people who won't read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. They won't read it. 
The Sermon on the Mount leaves nobody alone. In the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments was a declaration of God of what is right. Had no redeeming value to it. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Ten Commandments. Nothing about if you broke them, how to get free from them. Just Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount is a declaration in the New Testament of the way a Christian ought to live. And it kills people. This thing about marriage, remarriage, taking an oath, certain ways of praying and doing things, giving. You know, it's all wrong. And people are so offended. If you're going to preach it, say what it says, but then make it not mean what it said. Then you'll turn nobody from their iniquity. And your lips are vile. It's just the way it works, folks, that God says, this is the way, walk ye in it. There is no compromise. And when people say, well, I can't handle that. No, the question, the problem is you don't want to handle that. They don't want to handle that. Well, my kids are busy in this and my kids are busy in that. You know what? You put so much attention on your children. You go to such extreme lengths to give your children what they want and take them place they want to go. I've watched this. I've been here too long. And those same kids, so often when they get grown up, they leave. I mean, they learn from you what's important. They learn from daddy what's important. They learn from mom what's important. See, we're all who we are at home more than anywhere else, and that's where we're all identified, and that's where we're all labeled. If I want to know if Thomas here was saved, I wouldn't ask him. I'd ask his friends. I'd ask his mom and dad, is he saved? They know you. There's a life you live at home and everybody knows you about. We preach that. But there's no compromise with this message. Let me ask you something. If you preach no compromise, is that narrow? Is it mean? In other words, there's no alternative to God's oil. Now, the world's alternative we call synthetics. Synthetic oil. Synthetic silk or synthetic drugs. They're man-made substitutes. Let me read for you a definition I got for synthetic. Because synthetic oil is man's version of crude oil. Something that is produced artificially, devised, arranged, or fabricated for special situations to imitate or replace usual reality. Factitious, bogus. Another definition says, formed or developed by human art, skill, or effort, and not by natural processes, that is, from the Lord. It's man-made. A contrasting word with synthetic would be natural. We talked about a natural man the other day. There are things that God naturally makes, and there's things that man makes it because natural things aren't good enough. Now, spiritually speaking, synthetic oil is a substitute for the real deal. It's what man devises and fabricates. We call man's fables in the Bible, man's tales. And men fabricate this and give it to people because people like that. But we've been warned about that too. Remember Ephesians 4 and verse 14, it says that we no longer be as children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, he says, by the sly of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. The devil always has a passel of preachers 
waiting their turn to spring on the people a devious version of the truth because it courts human freedoms and fun. We sort of, yeah, I like, yeah, 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 I like this. And when somebody comes along with the truth, uh, it's too hard. But you've been tainted. You've been deceived. Some shall depart from the faith in the latter days. Why? They'll give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. The oil you had last year is not enough for this year. The oil you had 30 years ago when I said this is not enough for tomorrow. You need fresh oil. If you can only receive oil from a certain source, if that source dies, probably your walk will die too. I don't mean you'll forget what you've heard. I just mean that you won't go any further than where you were. God has never limited himself to a preacher or a group of preachers or a church or a group of churches to bring forth his word. He uses us. That's a blessing that we have, and hopefully we'll have a great reward in eternity. But God isn't limited to me or you or some great theologian of the past. God is not limited to that. I'm not sure that everything any of them said was exactly right. That lets us know they're human. But fresh oil, folks, what he taught us about faith in the early days is the one absolute necessity for all stages and times in our lives to get us to where we're going because we have to believe God. But he taught us about the home and the family. He taught us about deliverance. He taught us about witnessing and missionaries and our need to expand. He taught us that. Remember through the years we have gotten this, there's a series on this, and we got into this, and we got into that, and we got into this, and he begins to show us more and more and more. How many you know that all of this has a purpose? All of it, all of it has a purpose. He's taken us from where we were to where he wants us to be. And when it all starts coming together like a wonderful puzzle, you'll see Jesus. For it's all about him then there will come that day in which things will happen in the world in such a way that you won't need somebody to tell you that Jesus is coming. You will know it. Don't believe he's coming because I say Jesus is coming. I just know that when that hour comes, people who know him and are following him, they will be ready. God will not leave us uninformed. He will never disappoint us with a lack of information for all who seek shall find. And when that day comes, we will not be caught unawares. We will not have given up on our, you know, it's been so long. They said in the days of Simon Peter, you know, the Lord is coming. Well, he still didn't come. Well, you look around. He's coming. He's coming. And you better be ready. You have got to be ready. I'm going to close with Luke chapter 13. Would you turn with me to Luke and then we're going to close. You'll like this, I think. 23. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there a few that be saved? You seem to preach awful hard, Lord. You seem to act like not many people are going to make it, Lord. Listen to what Jesus said. What's the first word he used in verse 24? 
strive, agonize. We get our word agonize from that. It's an intense word which means to fight. It's used, fight the good fight of faith. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, he shall answer and say to you, I know not who you are. Then shall you begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence and Thou hast taught in our streets. We were there. But he will say, I tell you, I know not who you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. That's pretty somber, isn't it? But it doesn't have to be. It all depends on verse 24. I'm going to leave that with you. It all depends on a choice you can make this morning to strive. Put nothing before your great need. What's your greatest need? What's man's greatest need? Hearing the word of God. Mary has chosen that good part which should not be taken from her. What was she doing? Getting some oil. The pump was flowing. She was there getting some oil. That's necessary. Strive. Get it. Get it. Get it and keep it. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would minister to us in the greatest areas of need in our lives where we're lazy and indifferent, seeking easy ways, God, help us just to live daily as you have shown us to live, to trust you with all of our heart, to lean not to our own understanding, and to await the arrival of fresh oil each and every day and every week. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.